Hello and welcome to Made to Measure, the podcast of the Journal of Trading Standards. In this episode, we'll be looking at the implications that the government's net zero carbon target could have on consumer protection. The ambitious push towards making the energy consumption of every home in the UK carbon neutral by 2050 is an important component of the fight against climate change. But the scale of the task means there are numerous potential areas where consumer detriment could occur, whether that be through mis-selling and false claims about energy efficiency, poor quality workmanship or product safety issues. It's clear that if the net zero goal is to be met, consumers must be confident and informed about the technology available and the realities of what it can offer. There is also a need for legitimate and certified tradespeople who are able to install effective renewable energy technology in the 26 million homes required to hit the target. We spoke with CTSI Lead Officer for Energy and Smart Meters Steve Playle and Adrian Simpson, a trading standards consultant with a background in energy issues, about the crucial role that a properly equipped trading standards profession has to play in tackling climate change and why it is essential that government and regulators learn from the mistakes of the past if the UK is to achieve a net zero future. I'm Steve Playle. I'm a trading standards manager in the um, City of London, lead officer for CTSI on matters relating to energy and smart meters. I'm not quite sure how I got into that role, but it's just a really sort of fascinating area. So I think it's more of an interest. But the more you read about it, the more interesting it becomes. I think we're on a big, long journey to try and reach net carbon zero over the next 20 or 30 years, which is great. But I sometimes think that we lose sight of the implications um, for consumers. And I think we lose sight on the fact that we've got these plans to reach net carbon zero. But the people paying for it are consumers you know the government have got a few bits of money floating around but at the end of the day it's you know consumers who are going to have to pay the bill for this and we just need to try and make sure that we can do everything we can to make sure consumers are properly protected inevitably there will be some really good traders that try and latch onto the schemes to help consumers through this but as we all know as trading standards officers inevitably there will be other traders who see it as an opportunity to make a fast buck and i guess those are the ones that we need to try and make sure we're on top of I'm Adrian Simpson. I'm an independent consultant with a background in trading standards. Um, so up until I think it was April last year, I was the uh, Institute Lead Officer for Renewable Energy and Home Improvements. I was also working at a renewable energy uh, consumer protection scheme. Um, so I have a great amount of interest in this area. Um, I've worked in it professionally for a few years. Um, I'm very interested in it from a personal level as well. I think it's one of the biggest projects we're, un- we're undertaking as a society. You know, we have no, as they say, there is no plan B, no planet B. We've got to do something about the high levels of um, carbon emissions um, that we give off. And it does come down to things like what the consumer can do. Um, Like Steve says, there are a lot of um, dodgy businesses, a lot of fraudsters that are are sort of operating in this space. And I think for trading standards, they have a great role here to, to keep these particularly bad companies who seek to make a fast buck out of the out of the system. Um, and it's something that I've seen throughout my career in training standards. I started in training standards in about 2005. Um, and when I started there, one of the first sort of calls I did as a consumer advisor was around um, mis-selling of solar panels, where consumers were just getting cold called by somebody saying, you know, we can help you save money in your energy bills. And do you know that your, your local council can give you some free solar panels? And of course, there's nothing behind it. It was just a, 
a fraud and a scam. And actually, my my last case as a training sales officer, so I was a training sales officer for North East London Borough, was actually involving investigations of a consumer who who had a cold corner to say from your council, do you know you can get some free solar panels? Um, so so sort of going full circle, really, from my sort of one of my first complaints to one of my last ones was was um, involving renewable energy. So I've always had a, a big interest in this area, and I just think it's just going to get bigger and bigger. And you know, they put this in the context of rising energy bills. Um, you know, we all we all know we're going to be paying a lot, lot more for our energy bills. Uh, and what was the role of renewables in this? You know, can renewable energy actually cheaper? Um, we all know how much the equipment is to install. It, it is. It's not cheap. It's not cheap, and there are subsidies. Um, and schemes that have been made available that are available to try and reduce the cost of these, but this isn't available to absolutely everyone, which means that the you know the market is confused. Consumers don't really know what they're entitled to, how they go about you know getting these getting these grants, and for for us to get to net zero by 2050, do we simply have the amount of people and skilled workforce to do it? Uh, clearly, we don't. Uh, there, there aren't enough people. There aren't enough good quality quality assured tradespeople um, to do it. So I've just finished writing the CCSI guidance on renewable energy from solar. So this hopes to attract more quality assured, better skilled traders to the workplace so that we can get towards net zero future by 2050. Steve, obviously, as Adrian says, it's not a new problem. There's been complaints around rogue traders in this area for quite some time. But from, from your point of view as a, as a lead officer, what kind of sources of consumer detriments are particularly prevalent at the moment? I think in general, trading standards don't always get to hear about all of the complaints um, that are out there. I think there's still an issue with consumers not knowing where they can go to to make a complaint. You know, the um, the, the Green Deal, that was the um, the big scheme that was started eight or nine years ago now. The government pumped loads and loads of money into that. And, you know, the, the National Audit Office um, did their final report and they branded it as a bit of a failure, actually. Um, and there are still prosecution cases outstanding um, in relation to the activities of businesses who signed up for the Green Deal. And if you bear in mind that, you know, the Green Deal was trumpeted as um, um, something that's going to really make a big difference. They had all sorts of different consumer protections in place, scheme administrators, scheme operators, there was going to be vetting. It didn't work. It didn't work. There were all these different scheme operators and different vetting schemes. None of them spoke to each other. Um, and people slipped through the net and they were let loose on the general public to go around knocking on doorsteps, promising things that they couldn't actually deliver. And I think the thing we need to recognise with a lot of green energy type issues um, and products that are installed in the home is that they are a very complicated product. So consumers will not always understand what they're being sold. And because of that lack of understanding from consumers, it makes it even easier for road traders to to rip you off you know i think the solar the solar bubble was kind of passed now that's kind of gone through although i think there may be um a sort of second wave of solar installations i know that the um the feeding tariffs now are particularly low but you know i was speaking to a neighbor yesterday and he was um chatting about his plans to have some solar panels installed and um, we had quite an interesting conversation going through the pros and cons of that so as far as complaints are concerned i think there's still plenty of complaints out there I don't think trading standards necessarily get to hear about them all, but even if we do get complaints, I think the big issue is that we all know trading standards resources have been cut enormously in the last 10, 15 years, and those sort of issues aren't always a priority. Um, There are other things that are far greater priority, um, and I completely understand that, um, and that's the problem that government's got. If they're going to try and take us on this journey, lead us by the hand to this um, brave new world of 2050, there needs to be some kind of semblance of consumer protection in place. Um, so that consumers feel more able to to make the jump 
and invest some of their own money into some of these products. Presumably, the kind of problems that arise in this area can run the gamut from poor quality workmanship when it comes to installations themselves, but also misleading claims around things like the savings that a consumer can expect to see on their energy bill. And I suspect there's probably going to be problems with aftercare of, of maintenance, etc. Adrian, can you speak to some of those problems that have arisen and what kind of consumer protection mechanisms are there to, well, in theory, prevent them from happening? The interesting thing about renewables is a lot of it's sold in the future. Um, you know, if you buy this this uh, equipment today, your energy bills will go down by this, uh, your running costs will, will go down by this. So the consumer is in a very vulnerable position. They are reliant very much on what they're being told in the here and now. And as we all know, you know, we, we've had a, a sudden, some may say unexpected, increase in energy bills, which means that, you know, consumers are are, are, are very vulnerable in these situations. And as we all know from, from trading sandwich, when they're in their own home, they're even more vulnerable. Um, although there are protections in place, for example, the Consumer Protection Unfair Trading Regulations, which make it an offence to commit misleading actions. There are also civil rights that they have in the Consumer Rights Act. But of course, the average consumer won't necessarily know about that. Um, they'll just assume that, you know, salesperson in the home with a, with a shiny brochure is, is telling them the truth and knows what they're talking about. And so they do have things like calling off rights, but of course that can be difficult to interpret whether a premises is an off-premises contract, whether or not they actually have cancellation rights is, is, is a minefield that many trading centers offices will be used to. But, but all that aside, it all comes down to straightforward consumer protection issues. You know, what can the consumer you know, rely on what they're being told at the time? What can they do about it if things go wrong afterwards? Will that business still be trading if the product fails in a few years' time? Will there be some of them? I mean, there are, are things like insurance back guarantees that are in place, but are these on every single installation that takes place? So I think what we've got to do as a, as, as a profession as a, and as a society, I think, as well, is raise consumer confidence in these issues. I mean, Steve's made you know, reference to, to schemes that have failed in the past that are still being still being looked into now. Up until quite recently, uh, my previous role, I, I was a member of a, of a consumer protection group in Scotland that was dealing with the fallout from uh, the Green Homes Grant scheme um, that was still still ongoing, eight, eight, ten years on down the line. So I think when when governments designing these schemes, they need to really put consumers first at the centre of it. We're seeing it in some sort of local schemes, particularly up in a place like Scotland that are, are very, very advanced in their schemes development, that are putting consumer protection at the front of it and the front and centre of it, rather than something at the end of it where it's just, let's see how many heat pumps, solar panels we can get out, and then, oh, we better put consumer protection at the end of it. And oh, they've already got rights under the Consumer Rights Act, and there's already the Consumer Protection on Fair Trading Regulations. As Steve said as well, you know, the trading standards resource is, is an incredible issue. Um, with all these 26 million houses, that's the number that's often quoted, that need upgrading, it's trading standards that are they're going to have to protect the consumer in these cases. And we all know that the, the problems with trading standards, numbers and resources, and also training the trading standards officers able to, to, to investigate these fully and understand things like complicated methodology that goes into providing um, sort of things like heat loss calculations, for example. I think we, we can get there. I would hope to see that government looks to certainly better resource consumer protection around this so that we can all go forward to 2050 with a lot more confidence than we have in previous schemes. I think when I see a new scheme come out, I'm not sure it's the same as Steve, but you kind of sort of think, right, okay, well, what's the consumer protection element here? How much resource is there going to be for consumer protection? Is it just another PR stunt to, to say, look at all this great money we're going to put towards it, so we're all going to have, we can all start considering heat pumps rather than boilers when things go wrong. You know, we're not going to straight away go, let's have a 
thousand pound boiler well let's actually look at uh, you know five thousand pound heat pump how can we get people thinking of that so i'm hoping to see that with these schemes whether they come out now or, or in the future they will have consumer protection front and center not just as some afterthought because we don't want any more kind of green deal fiascos that we've had before steve can you talk about what you've seen perhaps in terms of people's expectations versus reality and whether that's a source for consumer confusion and, and potential consumer detriment yeah, sure. I mean, I, th I think everyone wants to do their bit because, you know, we, we read the news every day and we see the issues and everyone wants to do their bit. And, you know, we're bombarded now with advertising, you know, greenwashing claims abound. Um, I know the Competition and Markets Authority are doing lots of work around some of those issues at the moment. But I think because consumers are so keen to try and do their bit for the planet, um, that makes them even more vulnerable in some respects because uh, if someone comes knocking on the door to say that they can... Um, help them contribute to avoiding um, the emission of greenhouse gases, they're going to be even more keen to try and take that offer up. The, re the reality, I think, is particularly with heat pumps, you know, you've got ground source heat pumps and air source heat pumps. It's relatively new technology. And although it does produce some heat, it does produce some hot water. I think the technology has got quite a long way to go yet before it's going to be a cost-effective solution for consumers to get rid of their old gas boiler and replace it with a heat pump. I think all the, the evidence I'm picking up so far tends to indicate that it's not just the case of installing the, the heat pump. There's lots of other additional work that needs to be done at the same time. So the initial cost of, say, you know, £10,000 to install the actual technology, well, actually, you know, you might have to spend another £5,000 on um, installing underfloor heating, um, upgrading your radiators, and installing more insulation materials um, in your property to make that effectively work. The, the, the cost is a big barrier at the moment. Um, I'm sure the cost will come down, but I think it's it's something for the consumer behaviourist, you know, some someone who wants to make a life life changing investment in their property um, is going to need to be pretty darn sure that it's going to make a difference. I just think about all the um, all the people that went through having cavity wall insulation installed over the last you know, 10, 15 years, you know, and it seems that the installers forgot that if you live in particularly vulnerable parts of the UK where you've got wind driven rain, installing cavity wall insulation is just purely going to give you a major problem with damp. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of properties in the UK that are now suffering the consequences of that. So again, these people all had the best of intentions to try and do their bit, to try and save some money on their heating bills. But they're just, um, their lives have been made in absolute misery. Um, and there doesn't seem at the moment to be much help available for them to reverse out of that decision that was made with the best of intentions in the first place. You've both referred to the failure of the Green Homes Grant Scheme and, and other aspects of, of, of trying to solve this problem, which have just ended up exacerbating it. To the best of your knowledge, what is the current landscape for, for schemes that are available to consumers? And do they seem to be better designs than their, their predecessors? Do you see any potential pitfalls that trading standards should be keeping an eye out for? The schemes certainly seem to be getting better. Um, I don't think they're they're perfect yet. I mean, we did see, for example, the Green Homes Grant scheme that was very suddenly closed very quickly uh, back in March last year. That was touted as you know the government's kind of flagship scheme, but it was pulled very very suddenly. We're not entirely sure why. We think it was down to kind of things like the scheme administration. We were finding it that the installers were finding it very difficult to get on the scheme and difficult to understand when when they would get paid and and how they would get get paid. And I think consumers were being asked to do quite a lot of quotes to get quite a lot of quotes, um, and they were having quotes turned down as well. So I think in terms of how that scheme went, that that wasn't the greatest due to due to the due to the way it was administered in terms of consumer protection I mean, that did have quite a lot of consumer protection backing 
um, in terms of installers having to be members of, of um, quality assurance schemes and to be members of Trustmark for certain things as well. So I think going forward, I think we'll, we'll be seeing more schemes of that nature. Installers will need to be you know, quite highly regulated. They'll have to be members of the scheme. They have to have alternative dispute resolution in place. They perhaps need to provide insurance back guarantees. Um, but of course, you know, for, for a scheme to be perfect, it needs to have lots of other elements to it working. It needs to be affordable. It needs to be administered well. There needs to be clear bits of consumer and business education and advice as well. I think for trading standards, I think the sort of potential pitfalls are are the, the numbers of badges and the numbers of organisations that are involved in these kind of schemes that are being administered. I mean, for things like, you know, for, for just some of the basic schemes, you have to be members, for example, of a CCSI approved code. You need to have CCSI approved ADI. You perhaps need to be a member of a certification scheme as well and a certification body. Um, so I think it's, it's quite difficult. I mean, I certainly remember from my days as a frontline officer, not really understanding who these badges are, what they were, what powers they have um, to do it. So I think for, for this to work, for the schemes to work, I think you, you certainly need obviously good quality, robust enforcement. You need clear rules and you also need good bits of consumer advice and business education as well. But also I'd like to see training standards education, uh, so the training standards profession being educated as well, because it, it is it is quite difficult to, to get your head around some of these investigations now. Not quite difficult as they used to be, but uh, certainly I remember, you know, just, just sort of looking at these schemes going, who are these badges? What is a CB? <laughs> you know, what is a heat loss calculation? Uh, what's a heat pump? Um, where does it go? Because they're not exactly the most common things at the moment. And that's due to things like the significant cost where a you know, boiler replacement can be sort of between one 1,000 sort of to 2,000, where heat pumps sort of start really at around sort of 6,000. And the market may mature. It might be like solar panels that were, you know, very, very unaffordable 15, 20 years ago, but they're a lot more affordable now. And the industry almost sort of stands on its own feet. Whereas I think we're at the stage with heat pumps where the industry needs uh, needs a bit of support. And that's why these schemes are valuable, but they do need to be administered properly. And we need to sort of avoid past mistakes. I'll take on board Adrian's point 100% that there are far too many different scheme operators, far too many different badges around, and I think it's baffling for consumers um, to know which is the one that you should go for. Now, I know um, Trustmark were heavily involved in the latest Green Homes grant. I used to, I used to be a director at Trustmark back in my younger days. You know, they, they, they do their very, very best to try and get things moving along, to do that protection piece for consumers. But obviously, they're also trying to work with businesses to get them the jobs to, to, to make homes more green. I think the Green Homes Grant, it was a step in the right direction. I think consumer protections in place were, were getting better. I think some lessons had been learned. And I think one of the key things for me out of the Green Homes Grant, albeit it failed after a very short period of time, but part of the regime was that there were going to be a high number of audits of installations so um, once a piece of work had been carried out, there was far more likelihood that an independent auditor would go around to the consumer's home, see what had been done and give it, um, give it a tick or a cross. And that is what I've been banging on about for the last 15, 20 years. Only if someone independent goes around to audit these installations will you find out, first of all, if the work's being done properly. That gives reassurance to consumers. And it also helps to weed out the rogue installers at a very early stage. So if you found a couple of installations have been done incorrectly, then they could be stopped um, from carrying out any further work until they'd you know, either been chucked off the scheme or they'd got some processes in place to make themselves better. So the, the auditing is, is, is key for me. Um, the figures I heard um, around Green Homes Grant, and I'm not sure, I, 
I'm still not quite sure I believe them, but they were talking about one in 10 installations were going to be audited. If that, if that is the situation, if that is what was going to happen, then that is clearly something that I think needs to be taken forward for whatever scheme comes along next. And the other issue here, I think, is that there are lots of different pieces of grant funding available for different products that consumers have installed in their homes. But it's all very piecemeal. You know, we are talking about, you know, to change the infrastructure of, you know, 30 million properties in the UK, you know, a few hundred million quid isn't going to do it. It's, you know, multi, multi billion pounds is needed to get consumers to toe the line, to get them to have the work carried out and to try and reach the, the ultimate goal of net carbon zero by 2050. I think government do learn, you know, perhaps I'm being a bit too critical, but I think sometimes they just see the goal um, rather than perhaps seeing the journey from getting where you are now to, to what the ultimate goal is. And, you know, we, we can we can bang on all we like about the fact that trading standards has been cut by so much in the last 15 or 20 years, but, but who else is going to be out there to make sure that consumers are getting a, a proper job done in their home? Can you leave it on the back of the installers themselves? I don't think so. I think you need to have someone independent casting an eye over what's happening to make sure that um, things are going as they should. We're talking about the existing landscape in terms of the technology that's available, but there's emerging technologies which are potential sources of consumer detriment as well. Things like the Internet of Things, all of these technologies which enable people to control their energy in their home, and then even things like electric cars. Are there any particular areas of technology that both of you see as potential sources of confusion of consumer detriment? Yeah, I think you mentioned uh, electric cars there. That's still... One of those things, it almost feels like it's on the about to become the next absolutely big thing. And we're increasingly seeing more and more uh, green cars on the road. But there are things around the infrastructure for electric vehicle charging points. We keep hearing government's plans that each new home will have an electric vehicle charging point. But as far as I'm aware, there's been no official announcement on that as well. Um, I think the things around electric cars is going to be the batteries. Um, it's going to be what's going to happen at the end of life. Um, there are consumer protection and safety issues um, around batteries. Not a lot known about storage. And we, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing sort of some cars get to the end of their life now. And, you know, they are, sort of, as we all know, batteries degrade over time. Um, so I think there's huge potential there for, for consumer detriment. I think consumers might buy cars thinking they're going to function exactly the same. Um, all the way through their life and that might not seem to happen as with all batteries as with all rechargeable batteries they have sort of certain life with it as well so I think again it's one of those things that I think government needs to kind of give consumers confidence in get to get them going yes you know instead of actually replacing my 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 car the petrol or a diesel I am going to get an, an electric car because you know the range the range stated on it will actually go the go the amount it goes uh, will go the distance it should do and, won't, and, and consumers won't have this range anxiety, which I believe is often quoted as, as the biggest reason for consumers not taking up electric cars. Electric cars are here to stay. Um, they're not going to go away. You know, we're going to be forced to buy electric cars at some stage in the future. Um, I've, been, I've been speaking to a few people over the last couple of weeks. I've been speaking to Bayes. I've been speaking to the CMA, um, speaking to Witch last week. And they, they've got lots of things to say on electric vehicles. Um, I think one of the issues for me is around the charging points, the public charging points. Um, I think there are so many different charging models out there that it's very hard for consumers to understand you know, what they're going to be charged for plugging their car in. I found out about some regular, some really interesting regulations I found out about last week, which relate to the installation of um, electric um, car charging points on domestic properties. 
Um, and the, 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 the trouble is that if, you know, if, if 2 million um, electric car owners all try and plug their car in at eight o'clock on a Monday night, the lights are going to go out. Um, so the government seems to have recognised that and they're getting some regulations put through Parliament now, which means that any um, electric charging point installed at a domestic property has to be smart. It has to be able to talk to the national grid. And if you try and charge your car up at a point when everyone else is trying to do the same thing, you'll be denied that opportunity to charge your car. It will just say, no, you can't charge it yet because too many people are trying to draw current at the same time. Um, and I'm trying to get to the bottom of who's going to be enforcing those regulations, but it gives powers for the enforcement body to you know, trot along to magistrates' courts and get a warrant to make sure that equipment that's being installed in consumers' homes is smart enough to be able to reflect the um, supply and demand on the grid. So that's, that's going to be um, quite an interesting area. The other thing that Adrian um, talked about was the batteries. Um, you know, batteries are going to play a big part in the future. But, you know, batteries do cause an awful lot of environmental damage, maybe not in this country, but certainly in the places where the raw materials are being mined. Um, there's lots and lots of um, evidence that, um, you know, it, it causes major destruction in those areas. Um, batteries don't last a lifetime. I think Adrian talked about range anxiety being one of the main barriers for electric car ownership. I think the cost is also a big barrier. Um, and if you've got to replace the battery on your electric vehicle after five or six years you know we're not talking about 500 quid it's you know five six ten thousand pounds to replace the batteries that's a major expenditure for your average consumer and you know we're already kicking and screaming aren't we about you know a thousand pound increase in their annual energy bills at home you know where on earth are people going to be able to get the money from to be able to afford to keep their electric vehicles running so again it goes back to the point i made earlier um, we're on this journey but the cost is being fully borne by consumers. Things like um, you know, mobile phone charges and, and, and vape charges are notorious causes of house fires. I suppose if you start to move that into large-scale lithium-ion storage batteries, there's a huge potential product safety risk there as well coming down the line. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think consumers are quite price-driven. So if you buy an official manufacturer one that's, say, £7,000, but you can buy a, an unbranded one that's £2,000, that has all the right badges, that has the right logos on it, they're going to go for that. And I think that's going to be something that um, the government regulators need to be aware of. In, in terms of trading standards involvement in all of this, what would be your advice to other trading standards officers about potential information resources they can go to to keep up to date, um, the kind of things they should be bearing in mind, and perhaps the kind of conversations they could be having with some of the other sort of stakeholders and agencies involved? I think we're almost at the point where you know, you've got your 250 local authority trading standard services. I think this is such a big, such, such a big deal that it almost feels like there needs to be a national regulator um, to oversee these types of movement towards net carbon zero, properly resourced, properly funded. I do know that the Office for Product Safety and Standards, they are in the process of producing educational materials for enforcement officers, particularly around things like ground source and air source heat pumps. Um, and I think they're probably going to go into the electric vehicle um, issues as well. So there is going to be some kind of background information, which I think is always useful. I think in terms of how we proceed, um, I think I'd like to see some kind of national um, regulator um, taking control of this. National regulator could keep tabs on all the complaints that are coming in and try and react. 
rather than leaving it up to you know creaking trading standard services who've already got their own local priorities and this may not necessarily um, reach the top of the agenda as far as they're, they're concerned in their own particular local area. Net zero is, is not a fad. It's here to stay. It's going to be part of our lives for at least the next 28 years. Uh, renewable energy was, you know, when I started in train standards, I remember something that not everyone knew about, that only very few consumers go for, but it's now going to be part of everyone's lives and it's going to cost us all a lot of money. The, the figures we've seen is it's going to cost like £1.4 trillion to get net zero. It's going to cost us all about £1,700 per household per year to get towards that. So the, the market for frauds, scams is going to be absolutely massive. Um, I think for training standards officers, there are quite a lot of resources available to, to understand what the issues are. Things that, you know, we've, we've say, for example, we've just written this guidance. Um, there are other organisations like uh, Energy Saving Trust, for example, who, 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 who they can talk to. There are at least two uh, Chartered Trading Standards Institute approved consumer codes who are quite, quite happy to work with um, trading standards. So I think it, it's, um, it's about sort of understanding the environment that it is at the moment, where it's, where it's going, and, and realising that, you know, these, the, these scams and frauds, as we all know, will, will pick up on something. Anywhere where there's the phrase sort of government money or there's incentives or grants, we, we just know that fraudsters, poor quality businesses looking to make a you know, quick buck will, will flock to them. So I think, yeah, get up to speed with these. Um, and, and we understand, you know, it's not it's not going to be every every local authority's priority when you compete with 250 pieces of legislation. Net, net zero might not necessarily always be the top one, but I think for training standards, as we as we go forward, it's going to come come up the agenda higher and higher every, every year because um, we have to do it. You know, we've we, we've we've signed an agreement to say that that this is this is the way that the future's going to head.